Friends, it's an honor and pleasure. Um, this past September, we, first time in our history, we signed a, signed on, or is this signed? Is that the right word? We hired our first uh, intern uh, pastor with our church, and Sam was a, was a great guy that I thought would be a great addition to our, our team here. Um, and so, um, as a part of his internship, we asked that he preach a sermon, you know, every once, you know, once in a while, maybe like once every three months or four months or so. And as we're going through the Gospel of Mark, I thought it'd be a great opportunity for Sam um, to, to jump right in and uh, preach his first sermon to us. So uh, this is a historic moment for both Sam and for all, all of us here, for the kingdom of God, I hope. Uh, but Sam, I'm going to welcome up Sam to preach uh, to us God's word today. I don't think I need an applause, but thank you anyway. Um, well, good afternoon. It's an honor to preach my first sermon here. Um, not nervous, just afraid of voice cracking. Uh, I'm notorious for voice cracking, um, so I drank a lot of water. So hopefully it'll be fine, but at the same time, hopefully I don't, I don't have to go to the washroom. Um, but yeah, it's, an, it's a privilege almost to continue on the Mark Sermon series. A few of my intern pastor friends have been denied preaching uh, their pastor sermon series. So thanks, Max. Um, but yeah, our text today is uh, Mark chapter 10, 46 to 52. Mark chapter 10, verses 46 to 52. And I will read from my Bible, and you can follow from yours. Then they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples in a large crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. And when he, had, when he heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many were sternly telling him to be quiet. But he, cry, he kept crying out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him here. So they called the blind man, saying to him, Take courage, get up, he is calling for you. And throwing off his outer garment, he jumped up and came to Jesus. And Jesus answered him and said, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has saved you. Immediately he regained his sight, and began following him on the road. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for um, giving us such free and easy access to your word, and we take it oh so for granted. Um, and Lord, we thank you for the freedom to gather as a church uh, this afternoon to worship you and to hear your word preached. Oh Lord, I pray that you would... Um, Sanctify my words. Uh, may not be me who speaks, but Christ alone, and that his sheep, his people, they would hear his voice and they would follow after him. Lord, may this be um, all for your glory, and for Christ's sake we pray. Amen. Um, back when I used to live in Hamilton, ever since I was a child, my dad would lead our family in worship every Sunday. Um, we would sing a few hymns, we would read the word together, we would 
listen to my dad give a short sermon, and we would end off with a final hymn. And this hymn, which I'm sure all of us have heard at least once, was Blessed Assurance. And this hymn became our family's hymn, and we would sing it week after week, year after year. And this hymn was written by a woman named Fanny Crosby. Um, she is regarded as the greatest hymn writer of the 19th century. Um, and over her lifetime, she wrote more than 9,000 hymns. But as amazing as that accomplishment is, she did it while being blind almost from birth. According to her autobiography, at the age of six weeks, she caught a cold, but that cold caused her eyes to be inflamed. And her family doctor unfortunately wasn't home, so they called a stranger, um, an incompetent physician who gave her family what ended up being terrible advice, and it left her blind. She died at the age of 95 in 1915, so if you do some quick math, that means she lived 94 years and six, 46 weeks blind. She never knew what her parents looked like. She never knew what her friends looked like. She didn't know what her husband or her children looked like. Some of us can't even last five minutes with our eyes closed. And so the life that she lived, it was very different than ours. And although Crosby was born in a Christian family, she wasn't saved until she was 37. And so not only was she physically blind, she was also spiritually blind. But on a faithful day, on November 28, 1850, she attended a revival service at Broadway Tabernacle in Manhattan. And while the congregation began singing the hymn, Alas, Did My Savior Bleed by Charles Wesley, at the very last verse, which says, Here, Lord, I give myself away. Tis all that I can do. Fanny recalls in her autobiography, My very soul was flooded with celestial light. For the first time, I realized that I had been trying to hold the world in one hand and the Lord in the other. And there and then, the eyes of Crosby's heart were opened, and from that moment on, she devoted her life to follow Christ, serving him and writing hymns. What I find amazing is that Crosby did not consider her blindness to be a curse or a suffering but rather a blessing. And she writes, if I had a choice, I would still choose to remain blind for when I die, the first face that I will see will be the face of my blessed savior. I think that's an amazing confession. But as amazing as that confession is, there was someone who beat it to it 2000 years ago, a blind beggar who was able to see Jesus more clearly than those with two functioning eyes and who has become, to Mark's audience, the Gentiles, and to us, the unexpected example of true discipleship. So join me as we look at the text today. Continuing on his journey towards Jerusalem for his passion, Jesus and his disciples passed through Jericho, a city located 26 kilometers northeast of Jerusalem. And it is the same city that was destroyed by Joshua in the Old Testament. The city was eventually rebuilt by King Herod the Great, which should ring a bell as we approach uh, Christmas. This is the same Herod that massacred newborn babies 
following the birth of Christ. And he placed one of his many palaces in this city. Jericho was known as a uh, oasis city due to its warm winters and its close proximity to the Jordan River. And that meant that it had an abundant access to water and to natural resources. And this made Jericho an ideal location for trade. Many rich and powerful people traveled in and out of the city, but where the rich are, the poor are also. Many poor and homeless people sat by the roads waiting for merchants and for the wealthy to pass by so that they could beg for money, so they could buy food for themselves and to find shelter. And as we see in our text today, as Jesus leaves Jericho with his disciples and with a large crowd following him, our particular beggar, a blind beggar by the name Bartimaeus, hears that it is Jesus who is passing by. Out of all the people in the Synoptic Gospels who received a miraculous healing, Bartimaeus is the only one who is named. One can only pause to wonder why Mark would include such a seemingly insignificant detail. But some commentators suggest that Mark includes Bartimaeus' name and his father's because they were likely to have been known by the early church community. Not only that, notice that Mark places this story here at the end of chapter 10, following Jesus' extensive teachings on faith and discipleship. To show that it is not Jesus' disciples who show what true discipleship is, but Bartimaeus. And so, hearing that Jesus is passing by, Bartimaeus begins to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He is rebuked, but he cries out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. It doesn't take much effort to hear the desperation in his voice. Now immediately what catches our attention is what, Jesus, uh, what Bartimaeus calls Jesus, Son of David. Jesus has never been called this before, and this is the only time he has called this. Son of David is an Old Testament title that refers to the Messiah, the promised king. And this should remind us of 2 Samuel 7, when God made a covenant promise with King David that his kingdom would endure forever through the establishment of an eternal throne and his offspring would sit on that throne. However, that promise seemed to have failed when the Jews went into exile to Babylon. But even while the Jews were in exile, God has sent his prophets to declare to his people that his promise did not fail, but would be fulfilled in the future, that one would come who would reign on David's throne forever. And so at Bartimaeus' cry, everyone around him who heard what he had said would have known immediately what that title meant, especially them, the Jews, who had been living under foreign rulers for centuries without a Davidic king, and therefore were waiting for the Messiah. And so while the crowd following Jesus only sees Jesus as Jesus the Nazarene, Bartimaeus sees Jesus as someone much greater. He, although unable to physically see, is able to see through the eyes of faith who tr Jesus truly is, the Messiah that has come in fulfillment of God's promises. And it is because he sees and knows who Jesus truly is 
that he's able to cry out boldly and persistently despite being rebuked. Compare Bartimaeus with a young rich ruler, which we looked at a few weeks ago, who although he could see Jesus with his two eyes, was unable to see Jesus as the Messiah. He was blinded by his self-righteousness and his love of wealth, and therefore he failed to see his lack of Christ and his need for Christ as the only way to salvation. Bartimaeus, on the other hand, cries for mercy because he knows exactly the state that he is in. He not only sees who Jesus is, he also sees his own helplessness and his need for Jesus. He is utterly at the mercy of Christ and utterly dependent on him for anything to happen to him. He can't see where Jesus is or where he is going. He can't just run up and touch his cloak to be healed. All he can do is cry out, hoping to be heard. He is exemplifying childlike faith and childlike dependency, just as Jesus taught his disciples in Mark 15, Mark, sorry, Mark chapter 10, verse 15, where he says, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. Now, if we do some reflection, Bartimaeus' helpless state is the same state that we Christians were once in because of our sin. We too were once blind in our sins and we failed to see Christ as our savior and we failed to see our need of him. But by the gracious work of the Holy Spirit, the gracious work within us, the eyes of our hearts were opened to see our helplessness and to see Jesus as our only hope in life and in death. And we were enabled like Barnabas to cry out to him for mercy. And we did receive mercy by looking on the cross on which Christ died in faith. And so here, Bartimaeus shows us that true discipleship, the true disciple of Christ, is one who sees Jesus as the Messiah, who sees their lack and need of him, and who is utterly dependent on him for salvation. But just because Bartimaeus cries out does not mean that he will be heard. We can cry out, all we want to God, but unless God calls us first, our cries are useless. And despite Jesus, the walking to Jerusalem with his eyes fixed, marching ahead, he hears someone crying out to him and correctly identifying who he is, and he stops. He stops in his tracks and commands that Bartimaeus be brought to him. While the crowd, and likely the disciples, although they show no compassion to Bartimaeus, who was considered an outcast and who was considered to be a marginalized person, Jesus shows compassion. And at the gracious call of Jesus, Bartimaeus is filled with hope and he throws his cloak aside to immediately go to Jesus. As a poor and homeless man, his cloak, which I imagine would be dirty rags, is likely all that Bartimaeus owns, and he does not hesitate to throw it aside to go to Jesus. Again, where have we seen this before? Well, remember Peter's statement in Mark 10, 28, where he says, see, we have left everything and followed you. 
like the disciples who left everything behind to follow Jesus, blind Bartimaeus, despite having nothing but a cloak, does not let even that hinder him from going to Christ. And so we are reminded once again that the follower of Christ must be ready to leave anything and everything behind to follow him. What that looks like will be different from one another. How difficult it may be will be different as well. For some, it may be giving up a dream job or a promotion or a comfortable life. And for some of us, it may be doing the impossible, giving up gaming every night, giving up in-house Valorant, or in my case, TFT. But Jesus said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And so if Bartimaeus was unable to do just that, surely we can do the same. Or at least we will be enabled to do the same. And once Bartimaeus gets to the feet of our Lord, our Lord asks him, what do you want me to do for you? As we saw last week, this is the exact same question that Jesus asked James and John. Rabbi, I want to regain my sight, he replies. And we see that in contrast to James and John, who call Jesus rabbi or teacher, Bartimaeus calls Jesus Rabbi, a more reverent and a more personal descriptor, meaning my master or my Lord. In ancient Jewish literature, this word is rarely used to describe a human. It is more frequently used to address God in prayer. And so Bartimaeus' plea here is essentially, my master, my Lord, my God, I want to regain my sight. And although James and John, who were two of Jesus' closest disciples, along with Peter, known as the inner three, they used their privilege as disciples to arrogantly ask Jesus for power and for glory all out of their selfish desires. But unlike them, Bartimaeus, who did not travel with Jesus, who did not see his supernatural works, did not see his transfiguration, simply asks for sight. In humility and in faith, he makes a simple request for something that all of us, or almost all of us, are able to enjoy, seeing the world around us. He didn't want to become great like James and John. He just wanted to become human. And so Jesus, seeing his faith, declares that his faith has made him well. Or as other translations put it, has saved him. Both are appropriate for Bartimaeus. And immediately, Bartimaeus regains his sight. And right before his eyes, he sees the face of his Savior, and after living in utter darkness for however many years he was blind, he is now able to see the light of the world. We can only imagine the joy he felt when he saw Jesus. And for us, we just have to wait to relate. And although Jesus tells Bartimaeus to go, other translations may have, go your way. Instead of running around the city, to look at all the things he previously wasn't able to see, to be amazed at the world around him, or depressed. He chooses to see, or chooses to follow Jesus, 
in gratitude, following him on the road to Jerusalem, towards the cross, in loose account of his healing, we are told that he followed Jesus, glorifying God, and everyone around him who saw what had happened also became praising God. Gratitude fuels our discipleship. Brothers and sisters, we who have received mercy from God, who have been forgiven of our sins by the death of Christ on the cross, who have been granted everlasting life through his resurrection, ought to respond in gratitude. And what greater expression of gratitude is there than to devote our entire lives to follow him, to serve him as our master? And so Bartimaeus, he shows us that the true disciple of Christ is one who, having received mercy, leaves behind all things to follow Christ in gratitude. I conclude with this. Being a disciple of Christ is not easy, and it won't get any easier. It wasn't easy even for the 12 disciples who spent almost three years with Jesus. And although Mark provides us with Bartimaeus as the example of what true discipleship looks like, let us not forget that we have a greater example to follow, and that's Jesus himself. The whole point of being a disciple is to learn from him so that we can become like him. And although we can look to many people around us and in scripture, all of them will fall short of Christ. And there's a reason why in all of his teachings, he always pointed to himself as the example. He is the one we came to see and believe. The almighty God in mortal flesh who died the death that we deserved on the cross who rose again from the grave, conquering death once for all and granting us eternal life in him. And if you have not yet placed your trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior, I invite you to consider this free offer of the gospel today so that God may open the eyes of your heart to see your sin, to see your helplessness to save yourself, and to see and believe and behold Jesus as your only hope. Bartimaeus would have had an amazing testimony to share with those around him, unlike mine. And in a very real way, he was a living testimony. The same can be said with Fanny Crosby and even us Christians today. Now, we may not have exactly the same stories to tell like Bartimaeus's or Crosby's, but every one of us, we each have our own unique story to share and to praise God for. And although our stories may be different, we all share one common climax. We came to believe in Christ and his gospel. And because of Christ and what he has done for us, we are able to come together, not just as individual disciples, but more intimately as brothers and sisters, as his church, to sing in one voice the beautiful words of Crosby's hymn as a shared confession this is our story, this is our song, praising our Savior all the day long. Let us pray.